Welcome to your Relationship Lovecast by True Potential, the weekly web show and podcast that explores relationships and wellness, featuring in-depth interviews with acclaimed authors, wellness experts, health influencers, and spiritual leaders so that you can create a relationship and life you love. And now your host, Andrea Carella. Welcome back to your Relationship Lovecast. Today on episode 27, we are going to be talking about the differences between men and women in their communication style and approach to relationships. In working with couples for over 10 years, I have seen firsthand the themes that come up for men and women as they struggle in their relationship. For they feel like a failure or powerless, while women may question if they matter and feel hurt and sad. There are other instances where the couple has lost their spark and feel either frustrated, discouraged, or rejected. Knowing the main ways men and women differ in their approach, style, mental processing, and coping mechanisms to deal with relationship challenges is key to understanding and accepting your partner, as well as knowing how to effectively collaborate and work as a team. Today, I have invited John Gray, who is the leading internationally recognized expert in the field of communication and relationships. His unique focus is assisting men and women in understanding, respecting, and appreciating their differences. He is the author of 17 books, including the New York Times number one best-selling book of the last decade, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. His 17 books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages around the world. John Gray is a popular speaker on the national and international lecture circuit and often appears on television and radio programs to discuss his work. He has made guest appearances on shows such as Oprah, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The CBS Morning Show, Good Morning New York, Larry King Live, CNN, and many others. Thank you so much, John, for being with us today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, This is going to be a wonderful discussion about relationships. We all need it. Absolutely. Well, I'm really delighted to have you on this show. It's, It's an incredible honor. So thank you. What inspired you to write your book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, as well as your latest book that you have recently published? Well, I've been a marriage counselor for over 30 years, about 35 years. And after the first few years, I realized that uh, there was a lot of misinterpretation going on between men and women. And if I could help women understand the way men think, communication would improve. And if I could help men understand why women are expressing their feelings the way they do, give men an understanding of how women perceive problems differently, how women react to things differently, and how you can best support her, the relationships got better very quickly. I mean, it was amazing to see the turnaround once we had this basic information. Now, it certainly doesn't solve all problems, but it helps couples communicate on the same team, so to speak, to approach the problems that most of us are facing today. Mm, great. And your most latest book, can you tell us a little bit about that and how it plays into the current climate that is impacting relationships at this time? Well, as we explore the differences between men and women, what's happening today is they're even exaggerated and often role reversal occurs. Let me give you an example of that. We see in our children, there's a phenomenon called ADHD and ADD, attention hyperactive disorder and so forth. My latest book is on that subject. It's called Staying Focused in a Hyper World, Natural Solutions for ADHD, Memory and Brain Performance. But half the book is really all about relationship dynamics because that is really why I'm writing the book is because 
the same condition, the same situation that's causing our children to have these uh, focus problems, attention deficit problems, is affecting our relationships as well. And whatever our natural challenges are, they become hyper challenges in a hyper world. So one of the things I see, I saw this back in the 90s, it started emerging, which is women feeling overwhelmed, which is really, in a sense, the hyper-masculine quality coming forth in women, which is not being able to relax, but being, have, have to stay busy all the time, busy, 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 and not being able to relax. The flip side of this is men get becoming hyper-focused on stimulation. They could be either becoming drinking too much, they can sit on the computer for too long, they can watch TV for too long. They're not able to uh, relax and shift gears, so to speak, from the hyper-focus of work to being in the relationship. They have a shorter attention span. And this is a phenomenon that's happening all over the place. Now, back in the 90s, which is when I wrote Men Are From Mars, I pointed out that men don't understand what women are talking. Often women need to talk more about challenges and problems and frustrations. And if you just listen and don't try to fix it or solve it, uh, it will actually make her feel really good. And then back in the year 2000, we had research showing that Actually, when women talk about their feelings without trying to solve them and someone's listening, it increases a hormone called oxytocin and that helps to lower her stress. So we all go, oh, that's why there's this difference because oxytocin doesn't lower stress in men. So men don't have as great a need to talk about their feelings. And so they wonder why is she talking so much about her feelings? But then now in this last decade, in the last 15 years, women have become, do this ADHD phenomenon to various degrees, it's the whole range of, of hyperness that we're experiencing, is we start moving into role reversal where women are so busy, they don't wanna talk. And part of that is because if they did talk, their husbands would just try to solve the problem. But the other one, even if the husband wants to listen, uh, she has no experience that if I just talk about what I'm feeling, I'll actually relax. And he doesn't have the understanding of listening and what occurs as men go into role reversal is they come home and quite often, if they're not hyper-focused on stimulation on the computer or the TV, they tend to start talking too much. So we have this role reversal of what was happening 35 years ago, which is men not being able to talk, listen well, is now men talking too much and women being too busy. So these are new challenges that we face, but the solution is the same as it was back in the 90s when I was writing Men Are From Mars, even now, is we have to learn that men and women have different styles, different needs, different thought processes. And with an understanding of that, we can lower our stress, we can be happier, we can connect more. Oh, beautiful. And I think it's interesting how that evolution has occurred over time as, as different circumstances change in our environment and how we adapt and modify and are constantly evolving and learning. So this is really valuable information. For our listeners, what would you say are the main three things that a man should know about the way that their wife or partner communicates? And what are those three things that women should be aware of about men's style and what they can do so that they can communicate more effectively, either verbally or non-verbally? Well, okay, we'll start with men. Uh, three things that I think uh, when men read Men Are From Mars, for example, they always come in say those were the best points. You know, there's lots of things we need to know to make our relationships better today, but we'll hit the, the top three. One is 
men tell me it was so helpful to understand that my wife, when she's upset and is talking about something, that it's not productive for me to try to solve the problem, but actually I need to ask more questions, which is very counterintuitive for a man. Mm -hmm. His tendency is when there's a problem, when there's a fire, if you're a fireman, you want to rush to the fire and put it out. And okay. so men learn that actually when women are upset or when women are just stressed, uh, they'll start talking about problems. It's really good to ask more questions. You don't need to help her feel better by solving the problem. Many times what makes her feel better, she can sort of vent the problem out loud. So that would be one really, really key thing for a man to understand about a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing is so key from my books are the recognition that little things make a big difference. If you can think about women as from another planet, on their planet, just for fun, uh, they have uh, a different way of looking at love. Uh, if you give it a gift of love, which is huge, it has actually the same effect as giving a little gift of love. So, you know, you can give a woman a present, you could give her a dozen roses and she's going to go, oh, that's wonderful. And you can also give her one rose and you're going to get, oh, that's wonderful. If we look at this biologically, what we learn is that every gift of love actually has the same physiological, biological response, which is a surge in oxytocin. So I give my wife a hug. Uh, that's a surge of oxytocin. If I give her a hug and I just hold her for 10 hours, it's the same surge of oxytocin. So basically it takes about three seconds and she'll get that surge of oxytocin. One, two, three, and a little squeeze and you're done. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's it, this idea of little things make a big difference actually from a man's point of view makes it easier. Uh, and for the woman's point of view, it makes her happier. So men like to think bigger is better so rather than bigger is better, lots of little is better mm. and occasional bigger. There's nothing wrong with a wonderful you know, anniversary surprise and a present or something, but you can't do that every day. And what women need is constant gifts of love, so to speak, expressions of love. And you might think of it in terms of scoring points, which is every time you give a gift of love, you get one point. And, and that's a point of oxytocin. So when a man goes to work, he gets one point. That's all. Uh, he comes home from work. That's one point and they're married, that's one point. Bring her a flower, that's another point. I give her a hug, that's another point. Four hugs a day, that's four points. Uh, offer to give the hug, don't wait for her to come to you, you get extra points. So there's a whole art to scoring points in a relationship. Mm. And uh, what women can learn from that, of course, is don't take away points. Uh, mm. Punishment just doesn't work. Right. Well, we'll get to women in a moment. So that's a second thing, which is so helpful for men to understand that the scoring points thing, because men think in terms of scoring points, and now he wants to make a lot of points. So just do little things. Right. <laughs> There's a whole art to that. Compliments, noticing what she's wearing, uh, asking questions, showing interest, being patient when she's talking, if she's really busy, offering to help. These are all these little things that if you think about how you behaved in the first year of a relationship, you probably automatically did them. And then you think, now I'm doing the big stuff like earning money and sharing my life with my wife and all that. Why do I have to do the little stuff? She should know I love her. Well, yeah, she knows that you love her. But to say I love you actually has a physiological response, which is increasing oxytocin, which is this hormone that lowers stress for women. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a second thing. And the third thing that's very helpful for men to know is that 
uh, women are often saying, where's the romance, where's the romance? And men really don't understand what romance is. And, and to a certain extent, women don't either. They know they're missing it, but they don't clearly know what it is. It's a two-way street. It's not just him doing things for her, but it's her doing things for him. But what does she do and what does he do? So I have a little plan for, for this, which is simply, uh, it's up to the woman to know what she'd like to do. It's up to the man to do it. And then it's up to the woman to appreciate his efforts. And it's very simple. So what men don't know is they wait to the last minute and they say hunt to their wife on Friday night. They say to say, hey, what do you want to do tonight? We'll do anything you want. He thinks he's being very romantic because, you know, if a woman says, I'll do anything you want, that feels very romantic to a man. <laughs> so he, he doesn't realize that waiting to the last minute and spring it on her and then ask her what she wants is not romantic at all. Women like to think ahead. They like to plan ahead. They like to know what's happening particularly if there's going to be a romantic evening, which means an evening doing what she would like to do. That's what romance is. So you find out a week in advance, what would you like to do? Let's discuss some things we could do next weekend and keep focusing on what she would like, what she would like. And her job is to come up with at least three things that would feel special to her uh, that are realistic. And then his job is then say, okay, well, let's do this. He picks. That way he knows for sure he's going to make her happy. She knows for sure she's going to get what she wants and he's going to be happy because he picked it. So all the pressure has gone away. The responsibility is on both of them. So those mm -hmm. are uh, three things for men to understand. Great. Uh, yeah. So we can turn that around. We can look at the three things for women, which is to understand that the hormone that lowers stress in a man is not oxytocin. Women are doing lots of little things for men all the time. And that's nice, but it's really not lowering his stress. What lowers a man's stress is testosterone. Testosterone, when man's testosterone becomes low, his stress levels go high. What makes testosterone go high for a man is when he feels successful. So the three tips for women are ways to help him feel successful. You know, a man has to earn his own success in the outer world, but in his relationship, it's all determined by her mood and by her level of appreciation for him. So if a woman just takes a little extra effort to appreciate him for his efforts, his testosterone levels rebuild quite quickly. So one is that when he comes home, if you're home, or when you come home first, whichever, or he comes home first, when you meet each other at the end of the day, always be happy to see him. That's it. Then ignore him for a little while. Be happy to see him. There's such an important thing, which is women have this capacity to love, which is beyond a man. So a man puts his love into action. A woman can put her love into tone of voice, sparkle of the eyes, attitude, uh, actual just frequency of sound coming out of her communicates a lot of love. So if you're happy, show it in your voice. And if you have complaints or whatever, just hold them back. First thing should always be focusing on the positive. Mm -hmm. Be happy to see him and then ignore him. Well, that's actually the second step, which is give a man space. The, the, the dynamic for men is that uh, during the day, they're using up their testosterone solving problems and that keeps stress down. Then by the end of the day, they tend to uh, need to rebuild that testosterone. They need some alone time to do it. They need some quiet time. That could be reading a book, watching the news, having a hobby, going online. It could be a variety of different activities that don't involve her, that don't involve solving any problems that are serious problems or meaningful problems. He needs to just sort of forget all problems. That's why men often make the mistake of saying to women, when women are upset, we say, I'll oh, just forget it. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. We don't mean to offend, and that is offensive to most women. 
But we, we do that because that's how we can best cope with stress is don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. There's nothing I can do about it. Forget it until I can do something about it. Forgetting things is letting it out of the mind is the way a man copes with stress. For a woman, remembering it, talking about it, being heard helps her to deal with stress. Don't ask him a lot of questions. Just give him some space. Give him some room. That's the second thing. That's called men going to their cave. Now, if women don't understand that, they disapprove of him going to his cave. And if he feels disapproval, he's not going to rebuild his testosterone levels. And therefore, he'll body, his body will just want to stay in the cave because it, doesn't, it hasn't yet fulfilled its purpose. So basically, he only needs 30 minutes to an hour. And just ignore him for that time. Then uh, it, he'll be doing something he enjoys. If he doesn't return to you, so to speak, then what you can do is simply say, when you get a chance, I need your help. Boom. Don't tell him what it is, but just let him know that he's invited back in. He's not in trouble. He's not bad or so forth. And that's called men going to their cave. And if women don't understand that, they tend to think, oh my gosh, he doesn't love me. I've done something wrong. What's the matter? What's happening? And that's going to raise her stress levels. And of course, then she's eventually going to disapprove of that behavior on his part. So disapproval of men needing to take time for themselves is really, really big mistake. The great gift is to encourage it. So that's the way you can bring out the best in a man. Be happy to see him, encourage his downtime. And the third one is ask for what you want. Ask in small increments so that you can get what you want and then have something to really appreciate other than the fact that he's doing his best to earn a good living and support you as you're probably doing a, everything you can to earn a good living. There's this dynamic of men needing to feel acknowledged and appreciated. And I know as I say that many women feel well, I want to be acknowledged and appreciated, and rightly so, rightly so. Men should be acknowledging and appreciating you. That will raise your testosterone and make you feel good, but it doesn't lower your stress. What mm -hmm. lowers your stress is being heard. So the emphasis here is understanding biology, understanding that when people are stressed, they can't be loving. And what you want to do is bring out the best of your partner by giving them the love they need most. We certainly need all kinds of love, but there's certain love that men need most, that women need most. Mm, excellent. And you mentioned about stress. So in in order to reduce tension and friction in a couple's relationship, what are some ways a couple can manage stress effectively so it doesn't interfere in their relationship as much? Thank you. It's a great question, which is understanding that women's biology, men's biology is huge similarities, but there are certain distinctions. And that's when it comes to hormones, particularly and that estrogen and oxytocin are so important for women to regulate stress, to lower her stress levels. What can help increase a woman's estrogen is when a woman feels that she can ask for support and get it. So it's very important for men to always give a kind of a, a message that I'm here for you and we'll get through this together. This is so important that she feels she's part of a partnership. She can depend on her partner. And the way women can unknowingly sabotage this is to focus on ways you can't depend on your partner. You know, because you can't expect your partner to be perfect. You can't expect your partner to be everything. Uh, one woman said to me, you know, oh, my husband, he's always late. He's always late. Well, okay, that's something you're not going to be able to depend on him for. Accept it. <laughs> that's who he is. You know, that doesn't change. But there's so many things that your partner has to offer you. The secret is to acknowledge those to yourself and remind yourself of that. Another way women unknowingly create their own stress is by... Uh, sort of getting lost into their to-do list. And I emphasize to women that the greatest gift you can give to your children and to your husband 
is to lower your stress. And don't depend on them to do it. You have to love yourself first uh, before people can even be successful in loving you. And the, the secret there is understanding, again, biology, is whenever you take time, take time as emphasis here, to do something you enjoy for you, selfish acts, anything you do for you, give yourself time for that, that actually increases your oxytocin and will lower your stress. So this is very important that women prioritize taking time for themselves. Now, previous generations, women didn't have these high stress levels because they weren't living in this hyper world that we're in where stress levels are much higher. And this is now we know biological truth. In the last 20 years, the average woman's stress level has gone up four times. It's just, it's what's happening. The, the more decisions you have to make in the day, uh, the more uh, choices you have to make in the day, the higher your stress levels. Not danger levels. We're not talking danger. Uh, certainly women have lived in times when, which were much more dangerous. We're talking about stress, which is what keeps us from feeling relaxed, open, and loving, and happy. Uh, and cortisol is produced every time you have to make a decision, and our days are filled with decisions. We're rushing around. And what inhibits oxytocin production in women is rushing. Now, certainly we do have to rush around, so we should create these little islands of peace where we're doing something that we enjoy doing for ourselves. So that's one key factor there. And for men to encourage and support that in women. Uh, just as I mentioned earlier, what men do is they tend to take <clears throat> cave time. Uh, now many modern men don't because they can work 24 hours a day on their computer and they overwork. Men have to also take time out to do things that they enjoy doing separate from their family, separate from their wives, something that they enjoy doing uh, alone, whether, and, which involves quite often being quiet. Uh, whenever you can quiet your mind, so yoga, meditation would be very helpful for men. Ironically, it's the women that today are, are filling up the yoga studios, which is a great oxytocin producer for women because it's women being together in a non-rushed environment and in a relaxed environment, and that produces huge amounts of oxytocin. On the other hand, for men, it actually produces testosterone. I'm not doing it so much in a group, but doing it alone. Uh, meditation has always been a practice which was taught to men uh, to calm their mind. Because if you quiet your mind, your stress levels go down. And for men, it rebuilds their testosterone. Uh, quieting the mind, if women meditate, it will also help rebuild women's testosterone levels. Women who are out there rushing around all the time are also becoming depleted in testosterone. Although testosterone isn't the major stress-reducing hormone in women. Too much testosterone actually can inhibit her, her ability to be happy. The, the way that we can have peace together is to be responsible for our own happiness. So let me give you a practical example of that. If I'm in an argument with my wife, I say, hold on, I'm getting defensive. I need to take some time. I'll think about what we're saying, but I need to you know, come back to this later and take time out. Time out is so important for women to be able to simply say, look, I'm getting defensive. I need to think about this. We'll talk later. We need to stop as soon as uh, arguments start to escalate. And there's a whole art to that, but we have to recognize it's imperative that we do it. Raising your voice to your partner, expressing anger is one of the worst things you can do. Feeling anger is one thing. Managing anger is another. So how do you manage your anger? First thing you should do when you're angry is stop talking to the person you're angry with, period. Mm -hmm. If you keep talking, it only gets worse. Look at your experience. You'll see it only gets worse. We've mm -hmm. got all these psychologists telling everybody to express their anger, which is fine in a therapy session, which is fine if you're expressing your anger and frustration about your partner to somebody else, but not to your partner.
Mm -hmm. It's highly destructive to do that. If we're feeling angry, it means we need to take time to find our heart, our open heart, the loving part of us, and then come back and have the conversation. Even if it means having to stop and start, stop and start several times, you learn to trust your partner. You learn to have better communication if you know that anger is not going to come. Yes. I I know so, so often people get in that that drive of being in that anger and they just want to get it out, but then they're just dumping all this trash <laughs> in their relationships. So I think being respectful and responsible is definitely necessary to actually get to some resolution and well, yeah, you know, improve you just, the relationship. You, you know, I appreciate you saying that. Dumping on your partner may feel good, but it doesn't work in the long run. Right. Uh, even in the short run, it really doesn't work. It may work for you. Right. Uh, and, and let's just take an example of that. Everybody's gone to a movie where you've seen a bad guy and a bad guy does bad stuff. And at the end of the movie, they kill the bad guy and everybody's happy. I mean, think about that. That's, mm. you know, we're happy that we just beat somebody up. And so that's what fighting is about. You know, you hurt me. I feel happy hurting you back. Mm. This is very primitive behavior. And, you know, <laughs> the world is filled with violence. If we can't stop it at home, it's never going to stop in the world. So, you know, this is our testing ground, so to speak, is to learn how to love, learn how to communicate, learn how to be friendly and kind and forgiving, learn to work things out in a fair way. And as soon as you're starting to get angry, what people have to know is the fight or flight center has been activated. Blood flow stops to the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is the only part of our brain which is actually human. The DNA of the rest of the brain is is monkeys and, and, and lizards. Uh, most people don't know that, so I'll take a moment to say that. If you look at the DNA level of our brain, it's the same as a lizard in the back of the brain, same as a monkey in the middle part of the brain. And only in the front part of the brain is it uniquely human. It's the executive part of the brain. It's the conscious part of the brain. It's the part of our brain that can self-reflect, part of our brain that can change conditioning, let go of conditioned response. It's the part of the brain that can transform anger into love. It can take uh, rejection, turn it into understanding. Its transformation occurs only in this front part of the brain. If you're actually, if you're feeling empathy for another person, it's the blood flow goes to the front part of the brain. If you're in the fight or flight mode, which is you're angry or you're afraid, either of those emotions, what's going on? And afraid shows up as becoming defensive, which then leads to anger. At those times, if you look at the brain, there's no blood flow to the front part of the brain. You're actually incapable of hearing another point of view and of changing your perspective to be inclusive of another perspective. Inclusivity is absolutely necessary if you're going to create a change. I've got to take in another point of view and resolve it. Well, you can't do that. You biologically cannot do that you just become stubborn, resistant, and, and separate from someone if you're in fight or flight. So we have to recognize our limitations of biology. Literally, you can't think clearly if you're angry. And what's interesting is that the prefrontal cortex is the, the last one that gets activated. So it's the reptilian part of your brain, that fight or flight. Then it's the emotive, and they, they have a strong connection. And so it's really about incorporating that mindful awareness to be able to step back from and observe your thoughts and feelings rather than being your thoughts and feelings that creates that freeway, so to speak, between this activated part, emotive part, and that reasonable state of mind. So you can actually have empathy, so you can actually resolve conflict, so you can really understand one another. And so being able to regulate and calm down is what allows you to be much more effective than that primitive, primal way of operating through anger. 
Nicely said, beautifully said. Mindfulness is a big word today, but it's using that front part of the brain, basically reflecting on the other parts of the brain, not letting them control you, but being aware of them, not, not suppressing them, not repressing them, but not necessarily acting on them, Absolutely. taking time to listen to them, taking time to understand them, taking time to articulate them, give them words as opposed to you know, just simply feel it. You've got to articulate what, what word identifies this feeling and what other word identifies this feeling. What you'll find is whenever you're stressed, you're always angry or frustrated. You're always disappointed or sad. You're always feeling some level of fear or concern. They're always there. And there might also be even regret and embarrassment. These are, these are in there. They're like hidden inside there in that part of the brain. We may only be feeling one. You need to feel them all. And that's understanding. That's called going deeper into your feelings. That's the value of therapy and coaching. That's the value of, of so much personal growth is dependent upon not acting on your negative emotions, but instead explore them, listen to them, and go deeper into them. Whenever you're frustrated, let's say I'm frustrated, I'm I'm, I'm uh, in a traffic jam and I'm late, okay? Just to say, look, right now I'm feeling frustrated, okay? And what else am I feeling? Okay, I'm frustrated that uh, there's all this traffic, I didn't expect it. Why else am I frustrated? I'm frustrated because I want to get there on time. Everybody's expecting me to be there. Okay, then shift gears and look at disappointment. Okay, am I feeling disappointed? Oh yeah, I'm feeling disappointed. I didn't realize there's going to be so much traffic. I feel disappointed that I will arrive late. I feel disappointed that, you know, I didn't think of this earlier. I didn't plan this sooner. And then go deeper. If there's stress, there's always these levels of emotion. There's always, well, I'm concerned. What is my concern? I'm afraid. Well, I'm afraid that people will be disappointed with me. I'm concerned that everybody's going to be unhappy. I'm concerned I made their life more uncomfortable. I'm concerned I, I should have taken that last, last turn. Now I took the wrong turn. Whatever it might be. And then embarrassment. I feel embarrassed that, you know, I'm going to show up late. I should have turned, showed up on time. I regret that. So that's all there. And by taking time to explore that, identify those emotions, actually the stress goes away. Uh, it's amazing. And then you get in touch with the clarity of, okay, what is it I want? Well, I want to be there on time. I want to do a good job. I want to apologize when I get there. It's all going to turn out fine. We'll make it work. So you resolve it. Now, we typically tend to resolve things anyway. Well, I'm going to get there. I'll work it out. But if we don't look at all the emotions of the stress, then you stay stressed even though you might resolve a situation reasonably. You want to find your reasons after you fully explore the emotions. And I think a lot of that can be applied when you're resolving conflict with your partner because being able to take a step back, check in with yourself, really understand what's behind the the safe emotion, so to speak, of anger and really dig deeper on what you're really feeling underneath the anger and then being able to acknowledge that uh, to your partner, whatever those deeper, more vulnerable feelings are, and then be able to both reciprocate that exchange of vulnerability and then be able to ultimately move forward and resolve the conflict. And then that that can keep deepening the relationship and creating safety as opposed to destruction. Yeah, that's a, that's a very beautiful way of describing it. When I wrote my first book, that was the way I would describe it. Now, having written 17 books, always including that technique, I call it the feeling letter technique, which is taking time to write out your feelings. In some relationships, it's a little too advanced uh, to actually share all those feelings with your partner, but you can share them with yourself. You can write them in a letter. 
to your partner as if you're expressing it to your partner and then even writing the response that you'd want to hear from your partner. It's a very educational process as well as healing. Then having written it in a letter and written the response you want to hear and making sure in the letter that you always get back to this place of love and appreciation and acknowledgement and understanding. If you actually do get back to the place of love, then it's appropriate to share with your partner in some situations. In some other situations, your partner really can't handle it. You have to look at the emotional maturity of your partner. Uh, I thought everybody could handle it in the beginning, and I realized not everybody can. You go baby steps. The mm -hmm. first thing is to learn to uh, use, use this exploration of feelings as a way for you to lower your stress. So then you can go talk to your partner and share according to how much your partner can hear. Right. That's one aspect of it. The second is once you're good at that, then from my perspective, it's best for the woman to go first and the man to listen. Uh, it's always important to recognize that women's sensitivities are different than men's and that when women are upset, if they feel heard, they will feel better. When men are upset, unless they've come back from a place of love already and they're just talking about it, but if they're upset and they're talking, it doesn't always make them feel better in, in a healthy way. It's like I'm pushing it on her to change her as opposed to I'm just sharing it with her. So the first step, I just look at it steps. We write, we share, the, explore these feelings so that we can come back to love. The second step is the woman does it, the man's able to listen and not be upset. At the point where a man can hear a woman's feelings and not be upset, then it's safe for a man to share his feelings with a woman. Otherwise, if a man is sharing negative feelings with a woman, after she shares her feelings, she's gonna be afraid to share her feelings, which is inevitably what happens. If she gets angry and he gets angry back, then she doesn't wanna get angry around him. So we, ha we have to recognize that historically, biologically, the patterning is that when men got angry for thousands of years, bad things happened. When women got angry, not such bad things happened. Maybe you slept on the couch, but you know, it, but it was scary for thousands of years when men get angry they lose control they do bad things there and so women have learned there's a whole culture for women uh, whether you see it or you don't which is not safe to express anger to a man because he'll get angry back we want to learn to make it safe for women to have all their feelings but the first step is we have to learn to take time out when we're in arguments absolutely let's talk about sex because that's a, a relevant topic that that a lot of our listeners uh, deal with. And I know some of the issues that include basically lack of sex drive or lack of frequency of sex, lack of chemistry, connection, or just feeling emotionally disconnected at times throughout the evolution of the relationship periodically. So what would you say the main problems that come up in the sexual aspect of a relationship and how might a couple maneuver through those challenges successfully? Well, sex is a big subject, and I'm going to have to go through the decades here. You know, it was much simpler 30 years ago to help people have a better sex life, and it's much more difficult today. But the, the fundamental aspect of what makes sex great is that both people are growing in a relationship, okay? If you're the same person all the time, then you're boring. You have to be growing and changing. You have to feel safe to be who you are. If, you know, if you play the same record over and over, it becomes really annoying, even though you love that record, if you play it over and over and over and over, it will become torture. But people are not records. People can grow and change. But some people are records. They just keep saying the same thing. They hold on to the past. They bring up past issues. You did that. Don't you remember you did that? And they begin to close down based upon 
things that have happened in the past that they didn't resolve. So if you don't continue to resolve the challenges that you face in a relationship and come back to a place of love and forgiveness and greater uh, freedom to be yourself, it's that freedom that I can be myself and know that I'm going to be loved. That has to continue to grow and to grow over time as opposed to diminish over time. That's what kills the passion in a relationship. So that's the passion part. You know, I was just in China teaching classes and suddenly become very popular this year to teach women classes on sex, which they have no sex education, so that's really great. Mm -hmm. And they emphasize that what they teach women is, you know, 46 new positions to have sex. Well, that, that becomes very boring. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> exciting in the beginning, but you're back to the same problem, is if, if sex is only physical, it becomes boring very quickly. If it's only the same thing over and over and the same 46 positions, whatever they are, is that it's really the soul has to be growing in a relationship. We have to be emotionally growing. You have to be finding the places where you've been disappointed and you learn to find forgiveness and you love again and your partner stretches you to be the best you can be. That's what makes a sex life great, is that's the connection is still there outside the bedroom. Then it can be there inside the bedroom. But then we have to look at practicalities. Even if you have outside the bedroom, great relationship, you're growing together, you have passion, you still need sex education. Men need to understand that women biologically today, because they're, so, they're four times more stressed than men, this is biologically, the tests on average have shown women's stress levels four times higher. That means that women need about four times more foreplay than a man would need. Typically, men don't need any foreplay, the opportunity, he's ready, mm. but at least up to 40. And then that changes, and we'll look at that. That's the new problems we'll get to. But the old, back 30 years ago, that wasn't the case, and, and you know, men are busy wanting to have sex, and, and women are like, well, okay, sure, do it, but she's not fully enjoying it because he doesn't give her time. You need romance, you need passion outside the bedroom, a little romance outside the bedroom, then you need skill. You need to take more time. And you, you know, you, you basically, it's not that complicated. It just take about four times longer. Anytime, anytime you want to touch something, don't. Uh, go backwards four times more. <laughs> go slow. Be affectionate. Be loving. Kiss more. Touch more before you do uh, more direct stimulation. It's, and, and always start north and gradually go south. And don't do the same thing every time. So mm -hmm. that's a summary of a whole book I've written on sex, which is called Mars, Venus in the Bedroom. But it's suffice to say today is that we could all benefit again and again and again by reading different books on sexual instruction. Just like, you know, you want to get the most updated computer advice for your computer. It's nice to peruse some ideas on sex. And, and certainly I've written books on it. Many other people have written books on it. And it's a good reminder for people. Uh, sex is such a kind of an unconscious thing that we can't control that we tend to go into unconscious patterns. It's good to bring it up into conscious awareness and read books together, talk a little bit about it. That's another key factor. But now we're talking in the modern world, it's even more complicated because men's testosterone levels are significantly dropping. The average 50-year-old man has half the testosterone. Uh, he had it as a young man. That means his libido is less, his energy, his motivation is less. The sexual experience is not as fulfilling for him. Women's stress levels are higher. The sexual experience is not going to be as fulfilling for her. Estrogen, progesterone levels are out of balance. These things are all happening biologically. That's what I talk about in my book, Staying Focused in a Hyper World. But it's enough to say that we, we need to get extra support for our body. It's not enough just to have good relationship skills. And there's lots of wonderful Chinese herbs. There's uh, Indonesian herbs. There's my favorite is Tonkat Ali, which is great for men. I, I write about that. I do blogs on that at my website, marsvenus.com. I think you have to look at the biological side of it. There's herbs to help 
balance women's hormones, uh, which, which will keep them uh, and their stress levels down as long as they're doing the right behavioral things. So I never like take a drug for something, but there are these wonderful herbs that can be very helpful. And there's minerals you can take. I have a product on my website called Super Minerals for Women that will dramatically lower women's stress levels, you know, like in days. And then the romantic gestures a man makes will actually work to stimulate the responses that we all want her to have. So it's much more complicated today. And then when it's not that interesting, people start getting bored, then men start looking at porn uh, to get turned on. Then when they're having sex with their wives, they're thinking about the porn vision, whether she knows it or not. If you're not thinking about her, it's not gonna increase her arousal. And the problem with porn for men is that we now see there's so much porn online that the more a man engages in porn, the less he's able to be turned on to a real woman and the less he's able to be turned on to the woman he loves. So it sounds paradoxical, but biologically it all makes sense, is that when you have sex with someone you love, other hormones are at play, uh, which tend to lower testosterone. A married man, as soon as a man gets married, his testosterone levels will lower. He has children, they'll lower even more because there's more estrogen and oxytocin in his body. He's become more relational. That will lower his testosterone. Now for me, I'm extremely relational. I've got children, grandchildren, and so forth, but my testosterone levels, I'm in 64 years old, are higher than they were when I was a young man. And this is standard if you're in indigenous tribes where people don't have these modern challenges. So it's not like men's testosterone levels are supposed to go down, but they mm -hmm. do go down a bit when you get married. And, and so you have to you know, keep them up, so to speak. And, mm. Through exercise, uh, through stress reduction? Well, let me get to that in a moment, how to keep them up. Okay, mm. basically the rate, for a man to have higher testosterone levels, he needs to relax after exercise. He needs to relax after work. The way you rebuild testosterone levels is that cave time. Mm -hmm. When men don't take that cave time, I happen to be a meditator, so that's why mine are so high is that I exercise, I work hard, and I do work hard, but I, I, I relax hard, you know, I, I have deep meditation, I relax my body, and then I have things I enjoy doing, I, I have vacations, I don't overwork, workaholics have less and less testosterone. I'm not a workaholic, but during, you know, six, eight hours a day, I work very, very hard, and that's it. I turn off the lights, so to speak. Mm. Uh, that's one of the key factors. Also, I have regular sex, you know, but another key factor is is my wife is happy, you know, my wife appreciates me. It's a woman's response to a man's work is highly important for his testosterone levels. Mm -hmm. and, and, but back to uh, the, the thing about porn, it's so interesting to know and important to know is that when you get married, because you have love, oxytocin, which is, is the love hormone, it tends to lower the testosterone. So if a man is, ha already has low testosterone, then he loves his wife, it will go too low and he won't have his libido. But then if he looks online and he sees pornography, because he doesn't love those women, that oxytocin is not produced and therefore his testosterone levels can reach peak levels. So this is why you'll see men will, you know, they can get turned on to porn, they can get turned on to prostitutes, they can get turned on the first time with a woman, and then after that they're not turned on. It's because they start to love the woman, they get to know the woman, they get to care the woman. That produces other hormones that lower testosterone. So you have to have very healthy testosterone levels to maintain passion in a marriage with someone you love. Then you've got the other side of it, which is trying to maintain your testosterone levels. 
you can love your wife, but you can also feel like you're a failure in the relationship. It's what you mentioned at the top of the show, mm. is that when a woman is not happy, often men feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. And it's literally a conditioned response. Every time he comes home, just coming home, there's a conditioned response of all the times he's failed to please her when she's been unhappy with him. Uh, he just, his testosterone levels takes a dive. And right. it's a conditioned response, which is why you want to counter that one, which is by going on little getaways, going into a hotel room, there's no conditioned response that says you failed there before. So your chances of getting it up are much greater in new and different situations. So that's a way to help with that, mm-hmm. to recondition yourself to where you can be making love at home. But many men will feel like, oh my gosh, I want to go home and have sex with my wife. And they just go in the door and hear her voice and boom, it's gone. We're back to all the problems of the kids and the billing and the scheduling and the arguments and the disappointments. And he just kills that sex drive. So we got a lot of things opposing lasting sex. Right. <laughs> yes. And it's so interesting because I, I've noticed a theme and I, I know we're going to be wrapping up in a moment, but I just wanted to mention this and see what your thoughts are. I've noticed that there is a larger population of women that are wanting more sex and men not being as engaged in that department. Obviously, there are examples of the opposite and swapping, but I've noticed that theme of women kind of complaining or feeling frustrated because they want more sex and their partner's not, you know, wanting to engage in that way or show affection as often. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. That's a big, as I mentioned earlier, is that we've, we've in the last 10 years, 15 years, there's been a big role switch in a lot of different things, which is, you know, it used to be men are dissatisfied because their wives don't want as much sex. And then his testosterone levels drop. Now he's not interested. And she's basically going, where's the sex? Because see, for her, sex is a very fulfilling experience. It, often women have many more requirements before they can fully get into it. But they want to have that sex. That sex is the ultimate connection. And so she's missing that connection. What happened to the connection? Basically, what she's saying when she wants more sex is she's saying, why doesn't he desire me like he used to? That's what she's wanting. And he's lost that desire. And she's not fully responsible for it, of course, is how he manages his own hormones. But he, she plays a role in that. She doesn't know that, you know, the many times that they've had arguments and, and he's felt her resentment, he's felt her disapproval, she's felt her, her criticism, that all of that makes him feel not successful. So therefore, his testosterone levels don't rise in the presence of her. Uh, and so he doesn't desire her. So the women who are wanting sex, ultimately what they're wanting is they're wanting a man to desire her like he used to, and and that's what's missing is the testosterone levels aren't there. When the testosterone levels are there, many men will then say, my wife's not responding sexually. I mean, the, the studies, I didn't do these studies, but you read about them, which is studies are saying half of the women in America have never had an orgasm, uh, and half of the women who have had orgasms don't have them that often. Basically, what we're talking about there is is both a man and woman who are not skilled in knowing what to do to provide an orgasm for a woman. But what women are really missing is a man's desire. And he loses his desire as he feels less successful as testosterone levels start to drop. Right. Now, in closing, I, what are uh, some additional resources that you can offer our listeners so that they can find you and connect with you? I really have loved doing this interview. I think you're, this is great. And if people would like to hear more about some of the ideas that I've talked about, certainly Minute from Mars, Wounded from Venus is the thing I'm most known for. But my website, MarsVenus.com, is filled with uh, wonderful uh, video blogs and blogs and 
uh, have a free newsletter that people can get relationship tips, also uh, uh, health tips on how to balance hormones, how to balance uh, how, getting herbs to help increase testosterone levels, for example, uh, different minerals and nutrients to help the lower stress, to make us sleep better, uh, to reduce anxiety. All of that's available at marsvenus.com. Oh, wonderful. Well, John, it's been a delight to have you on the show. I I actually remember when I was 13 years old, I actually bought one of your ta- I had it on as a tape, like a cassette, <laughs> when we used to have those back in the day. Right, right. And I remember being so passionate and curious about relationships, and I just remember listening to that as a as a young teenager uh, to learn. So it's really just an honor to actually speak with you and have this conversation with you today. I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you. Great. So there you have it. And I hope you found this podcast as interesting and as informative as I did. And to get access to the show notes and links mentioned on the show, please go to truepotentialcounseling.com. And if you like this podcast, if you could please leave a review on iTunes, you can check us out by typing in Relationship Lovecast. Thank you so much. And I will catch you next time on Relationship Lovecast. Thanks for listening to Lovecast by True Potential at www.truepotentialcounseling.com. 